And dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together this evening to meet with us, to serve us. We pray that your word would be effectual in our lives. We pray that you would purify us. We pray that you would sanctify us. We pray that you would conform us more and more to the image of our beautiful and glorified, crucified, risen, and ascended Savior, Jesus. We pray that the words of our heart and the very meditations of our, um, the words of our mouths and the very meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, please be seated, beloved, and turn, if you will, in your Bibles to James chapter 3. James is really often considered the wisdom literature of the New Testament, and it really has a lot to say about how we live life. It causes, it asks a lot of questions and causes us to interact with it and see how to apply God's word to our lives. It's one of the book that really encur- books that really encourages us not just to be hearers but doers of God's word as part of the new creation in Christ. And here we have a chapter that's really kind of dedicated to speech and speaking and understanding the power of the tongue and the power of speech. It has some very harsh things to say about it and some very encouraging things to say about it as well. And I'd like to read the whole chapter. In particular, we'll be looking at the first 12 verses. But let's hear now the whole chapter. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God, not just words about God, but God's word as he speaks to us. May we pay attention to them as such. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mounds of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and the sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, 
impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Well, when we think about speech, one of the first things that is important to reflect on is that our God is a speaking God. It should be remarkable to us that the Lord created the universe by speaking it. He said, let there be, and he brought forth the universe. And to the things that he created, he said to them, let them be fruitful. Let them bring forth after their own kind. He not only created them originally, but through his speech, he sustains them as well. And so we, as image bearers of God, we're speakers by nature, by design, by image bearing, by likeness. We are speakers, and our speech matters. I remember reading the poster for the movie Gladiator that says, what we do now echoes in eternity. And what we say now echoes in eternity as well. We didn't just happen to evolve to become speakers one day. It's part of the very design that we have as those who bear the image of God. We were created, we were designed, we were imaged to speak. One of the first things that Adam did was to name the animals. As the king of the earth at the time, he was given power and authority to call something something, and that's what it was. It's the power of speech. It's the power of bearing the image of God. And throughout scripture, we hear over and over that what comes out of our mouth is really a barometer of our heart, isn't it? So when we listen to our speech, whether it's the verbal speech or in our day, when you're writing it down on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or something else as well, what you say there is really a reflection of your heart. Some of those things should be a barometer showing us that we need to confess these things. We need to repent of the things that come out of our mouths or out of our fingertips And others show us that we are growing in grace. But it's a really good barometer for us to be able to examine these things. James had said earlier in his book, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. James 1.26. That's very serious, isn't it? If anyone thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue... But deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Speaking is a big deal. The ability that we have to speak just doesn't come by chance, but again, by design. Some of you know who Uncle Ben and Peter Parker are. I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but Peter Parker is also Spider-Man. And when he discovered that he had these gifts, his uncle said to him, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And I submit to you that as those who have the ability to speak, it's a great privilege, it's a great responsibility, it's a great power, and we are accountable for it. Kids, you do have a superpower. You're speakers. You're like God in that way. And we are responsible for these things. With our words, we can heal, we can harm, we can correct. I heard growing up that saying, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. That's not quite right, is it? Names do hurt. And they stick. Some of the tapes and the narratives that we heard as children, or as employees, or in various relations, stick with us. 
If someone said something really harsh or rude or obscene or overbearing, that sticks with us, and sometimes we end up playing that tape over and over. If someone said the right word at the right time with counsel that was really healing or helpful, that tape sticks with us as well. The words matter. And so as we think about these things today, I'd like to think about three things. Careful speakers, powerful words, and fruitful speech. Careful speakers, powerful words, and fruitful speech. The first thing are careful speakers. There's really two groups here I'd like to talk about. Teachers and stumblers. Teachers and stumblers. The first group that James addresses says, Not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James knows the weight of this. He's an apostle. He's teaching with the authority of Christ. He authored one of the books of Scripture. He is a pastor. Those of us who have given responsibility to teach in one way or another, and I submit almost all of you have been given responsibility to teach in one way or another, bear a greater accountability for what we say. Our words matter, and how we say them to those who we are put in authority over, whether it's as a pastor or a deacon or an elder or a parent or an employer. You who have been put in opportunity or the position to teach others are going to be held with great strictness for that. With much responsibility comes much accountability. And so James had earlier said, be slow to speak. Be quick to hear, but slow to speak. That, of course, doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak, but it shouldn't be the first response that we have. You've heard before that you have two ears and one mouth. That is probably a good ratio listening twice as much at least as you speak. More words often provide a potential for more error or more harm. I've known many of you for over a decade, and you know from conversations with me that my biggest problem is me, just like your biggest problem is you, and mine is often from speech. I said something that I wish I wouldn't have said. I said it at the wrong time, in the wrong way. Not thoughtfully, not carefully. I wish I could go back and take that over. More words created more problem. Silence is often golden. The Proverbs highlight this over and over. And for those of you who ever had to appear before a judge, hopefully none of you, but if you have, your lawyer probably told you just answer the question that's asked and answer it as quickly as possible. If you can answer the question with a yes or no, just say yes or no and be done. You're going to probably create problems for yourself by adding to it. Answer it as shortly and concisely as you can. When James is warning the teachers of his day, the mouth was the chief teaching tool of his day, wasn't it? They didn't have books to the, nearly to the extent that we have them today, or an internet, or a Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere or any of those things. It was all done by speaking. Very significant for him to remind us, all of us, particularly those of us in authority, that we are accountable and responsible for our speech. Because there's a real temptation for teachers, isn't there? There's a real temptation for us who are in authority. We know that we can manipulate other people. We can mislead them. We can misinform them. We can 
dominate them. We can scare them. We can flatter them. We can withhold information. We can overwhelm them with information. And all of those things really lack love. All of those things are really trying to get what we want out of something rather than what's best for the person that we're speaking to. So our words matter and they're powerful. Again, we can mislead, we can manipulate, we can misinform, we can dominate, we can scare, we can flatter, we can withhold, or we can overwhelm. That's a lot, isn't it? Just with our speech and just with our words, just with this little few inches on our face. It's humbling to think about. Teachers will be judged with greater strictness. It says... Uh, the text is like literally greater judgment since they are accountable for more. To whom much is given, much is required. The second group is the stumblers. He gave a warning to the teachers, but he says to the stumblers, he says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. How many of you are stumblers in speech? All of us? This is for all of us. We all stumble in our speech. We all stumble in many ways, he says. There isn't a category of us who got this speech thing nailed. The word of God is coming to us. It's reminding us. Michelle and I like to play a game sometimes where we think of you have a key fob for your car, you know, and there are different buttons on it, three or four buttons, depending on how nice your car is. Right, that either unlocks it, locks it, opens the trunk, opens the sliding doors on the side, whatever it is. But we think, what if you could use that thing to control other people? Right, this is how things go in the Tedrick household, right? We want power. And what would they do? What would those different buttons do? And of course, it changes over time and based on my mood, but most often, one of them is to be quiet. Another one's to be gracious. And another one is to rewind. 10 seconds, and then that's becoming longer, 30 seconds. And often, I just want to direct that back on myself, right? I want to use it for other people. Be quiet. Think about what you're saying. Think about the gravity of the situation. Think about what was just said. Listen. Be quiet. Be gracious. Rewind. I wish I wouldn't have said that. Did it really need to be said? Did it really need to be said in that way? Did it really need to be said right now? Is it really giving grace to somebody? Is it really going to help them? Or is I trying to be heard or make a point or win a battle or dominate or manipulate or control in some way? Sins of speech are our universal experience, aren't they? I can almost guarantee you that all of you were sinned against by someone with their words this week. And you sinned in your speech. And you live in a sin-cursed world that's just full of it. Turn on the television, or better, don't. Constantly, whether it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC, just constantly sinning with their speech, misrepresenting someone else's view, making things out to be the very worst, ascribing motives to people, not even coming close to representing their opponent's view fairly. So not only do we sin in this way and are we sin against, but we're constantly bombarded by it. It might be good sometime to take that key fob and turn those things off. 
to allow yourself to have some time to think and to reflect on things that are good and lovely and true and pure and holy. A lot of times some of these stations, again, whether it's MSNBC or Fox, aren't trying to even give you new information. They're just trying to affirm you in what you already believe and encourage rage or outrage in one way or another. That's not good for you physically. It jacks up your cortisol level, leads to high blood pressure, doubt, frustration, anger, all of these other things that are not the fruits of the Spirit. How many times have you listened to either station and thought, they're really encouraging me to self-control and gentleness and kindness and patience. They're selling something. I'm not saying don't ever listen to them. I'm saying being thoughtful about how you listen to them and then how you respond to these things as well. We're being sinned against, and we need to be aware and thoughtful of that well, too. The Heidelberg mentions various sins of speech, false witness, twisting another's words, backbiting, slander, join in condemning someone else, unheard of or harshly, lying or deceit. We could add to that to gossip about someone, to mislead, to have an innuendo or an accusation of them, coarse jokes and foolish jesting, Ephesians would also say, withholding the truth or shading the truth so that someone only really has half of the story. Even good things. Some of you have a tremendous sense of humor. But it's easy to use your sense of humor, isn't it, to put someone else down to make yourself look better. To even take this gift that you've been given of a sense of humor and use it to belittle another one. Someone made in the image of God. And if they're a fellow believer, someone who's recreated in the image of Christ. What was the first sin of speech in Scripture, Satan, wasn't it? He twisted God's words. Did God really say? And then he lied. God didn't say. Isn't that interesting? The very first sins recorded in Scripture are those of sins of speech. And Adam, the first human, one of his first sins was a sin of speech as well. He blame shifted, didn't he? When the Lord came to him, and confronted him with his sin, he said, the woman that you gave me, it's not my fault. It's her fault and your fault because you gave her to me. Out of his mouth came what was in his heart, didn't it? It's easy for us to do. All the difficult situations of our life are the occasion for our sin, but not the cause of our sin. James says the cause of our sin is ourselves. What causes quarrels among you? You, when you're led away by your own desires. The political atmosphere, as hypercharged as it is, may be occasion for my sin, but not a cause for my sin. If you're frustrated at me or other pastors or the elders or the deacons or the church or Christianity or the television or the Supreme Court, all of those, your wife, your spouse, your kids, your parents, they could all be the occasion for sin, but not the cause of sin. The cause of sin is us. And James is really wanting us to look at our own heart in these things. And when we recognize those things, flee to the Lord, repent and confess them, 
and then as much as possible go and be reconciled with others. And it's not just what we say out loud, is it? The whole point of it is that it reveals what's in our hearts. We think in words. We plot in words. We plan in words. We imagine in words. One theologian said we can't have a pity party without our inner voice speaking to us. We're just constantly talking, aren't we? And it reveals to us what's going on in our heart. Again, for those of us who are believers, it reveals to us, you know what, this is worse than I thought, and I need to confess these things, and I need to go to the Lord, and maybe I need to get rid of some outside influences in my life which are influencing me towards sins of speech. And then we also see the fruit of the Spirit in our life and say, well, there are other things that the Lord is doing in my life as well where I can see that the Spirit is conforming me more and more to the image of Jesus. So none of this is a minor issue, is it? If you remember back to Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was receiving his call and his commission to be a prophet of the Lord, to speak the word of the Lord, when he was in the presence of the holy, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of an unclean people. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When he saw a vision of the Lord, his mouth was stopped. He is holy and I am unholy. He recognized that my lips are unclean and I live amongst a group of unclean speakers as well. And if we went on to read that text, what the Lord comes He does as he takes tongs uh, from the altar and he touches his lips with it and he cleanses them. It's the Lord who cleanses them. It's the Lord who makes him clean in this sense. Romans 3, when it's talking about the depravity of man, says all these things about speech. The throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And ultimately, the weight of the law from Romans 1, 21, all the way to chapter 3, is so that every mouth will be stopped. That when we hear these things, that our mouths are just stopped before the Lord and we recognize we have nothing to say in defense of ourselves to justify what's in our heart and what comes out of our mouths. All of that seems pretty weighty and pretty heavy, doesn't it? It's incredibly difficult to tame the tongue. James said, if anyone does, they are a perfect man. Where do we find such a creature who is a perfect man, who never has sins of speech? The answer is obvious, isn't it? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. The remedy for our sins of speech is in the one who is the perfect man, the one who never sinned in his speech, who never sinned in his heart, who always delighted to be a truth speaker, to never gossip, never lie, never slander, never misrepresent, never distort, never be overly harsh. Never be unduly critical. Certainly he said harsh and critical things, but the right time, there's a time for those things. Never once 
did our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sin in his speech? He is the perfect man. And it's in him that we find the forgiveness for all of our sins of speech. It's in him that we find the righteousness for our speech. Jesus, in some sense, was a perfect speaker for us. It's credited to our account as if we had done it ourselves. It's remarkable and humbling even to think about. So the first thing and the, most, the longest of the three points was really the encouragement from James to be careful speakers. The second thing is he talks about the power of our words. Three examples of relatively small things that influence something much larger are given. The bit in the mouth of a horse, the rudder of a, sh a ship, and a uh, spark. One is a bit in the mouth of a horse that guides their whole bodies. And kids, you know what the bit in the mouth of a horse is, right? It's that little metal piece that's about this big that goes into a horse. And a horse weighs a ton, and you weigh 80 pounds, and you can sit on top of that horse, and with that little thing, you can guide it and direct it. That's pretty amazing to think about. Just with that little thing, it controls the whole body of the horse. So it is with the tongue, with you. That little thing kind of controls the whole body and where it goes. Or like the rudder on a ship. The rudder on a big, huge aircraft carrier is significantly large, but it's so small in comparison to the whole ship itself. But it can steer the whole battleship. That rudder, that small thing, guides and directs the whole ship. And so it is with our tongue as well. The other image is how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. We all know so well living around here, and I did as well living in Colorado for a while, how one careless camper or one evil-intentioned person can bring havoc, pain, devastation to thousands of acres and thousands of families, and millions and millions, if not billions of dollars of damage just with one match. Unintentionally starting something off, or intentionally. This little thing, great power, great influence. And so verse 5 says, So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What we say matters. How we say it matters. The tongue can make huge claims to power, but it can back it up. It's powerful. One theologian said, The tongue, as the instrument of speech, can set the heart aflame with, fur with uh, fury, or patriotic fervor, or courage, or love, or hate, that can inflict damage that goes on for generation and generations. It can also bring healing and comfort that lasts a lifetime. I still remember some of the harsh words that were said to me as a kid. I still remember some of the things that I said to others trying to be a big shot in high school that I wish I never would have said. And I still remember and bathe in the kind and healing words of people as well. It makes a difference. It says the tongue is a fire. If you think... Pastor Chuck is exaggerating about all these things. Look in verse 6, it says, a world of unrighteousness. Straining the whole body. 
setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. Wow, that's massive. Massive influence. The tongue leaves its mark onto everything it touches. Good policy, good art, good sermons, good counsel, harsh words. It leaves its mark everywhere. A world of unrighteousness, the text says. The tongue represents and puts into expression all the wickedness of the world. Imagine if there were thought bubbles over your head. I would hate that. Fortunately, sometimes I'm able to restrain myself from saying what I think or feel in a moment. But imagine if we could see what everybody's thinking, what's actually going on in their hearts. We would be rushing to confession. We would be embarrassed, rightly, by the things that go on in our hearts. The tongue is uncontrollable, humanly speaking. And James gives this great analogy. He said, For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Think about all the things, all the animals, all the creatures that we have been able to tame. I'm not suggesting we should or shouldn't be doing those things. I don't want to get into the debate about that. But we ride orcas. We can train dolphins to do all kinds of amazing tricks. People can charm and handle snakes. And kids, pastor's not recommending this. I'm saying what can be done. We, we've tamed lions. We can ride elephants. A few cowboys and a few cowgirls can herd hundreds of cattle or hundreds of bison. I've seen on YouTube chipmunks that can water ski and llamas that can surf. We can train animals to do those things, but we can't tame our own tongue. That's what James is saying. Don't underestimate what he's saying here. We can ride an orca and teach a llama to surf, but we can't control our own speech, humanly speaking. So we need something else. We need someone else, don't we? To come and to give us a new heart. To cause us to walk in his statutes. To cause us to speak in the way that he speaks. We need to be united to Jesus. We need to flee to him. Having heard the weight of the crushing reality of our own hearts. Reflected in our own speech and run to him. Knowing that he paid the penalty in his own flesh for all of our lying, for all of our slander, for all of our gossip, for all of our misrepresentation, for all of our hatred, for all of our impatience, for all of our abuse. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all of it. And in addition, his life of perfectly obeying the law is credited to our account, and he's given us the Holy Spirit who causes us to walk and to speak and to love after the manner of Christ as we are being recreated, conformed more and more to his image. And so James closes with this idea of fruitful speech, the third point. 
He said, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be. It ought not to be, right, that out of the same mouth come blessings and curses. As image bearers, we should be praising the things that God praises. We should be loving the things that he loves. We should be avoiding the things that he hates. Jesus prohibited his disciples from cursing other people. It's a radical reversal for us as part of the new creation. We bless those who persecute us. We pray for our enemies. It's not if you do that, then you will be part of the new creation. But as part of the new creation now, bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Leave vengeance to the Lord. That's part of the new creation. That's part of the reality of being raised from spiritual death to spiritual life in Christ. Of recognizing how much he has forgiven us. Of recognizing that his righteousness is imputed to us. And the Holy Spirit that created the universe. The Holy Spirit that was with Jesus in all of his miracles. Is the same Holy Spirit who lives in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And he's conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus. It's a new covenant reality that we have a new heart, that we're new speakers, that we have a new life. We even believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We talked about some of the damages of speech. Also, this morning, you confess the Apostles' Creed. That's a blessing of speech. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Those are gifts given to you, to actually believe that and to be able to confess and to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is the Savior. That's a gift. You're imaging God and being able to speak that. And that speech isn't something we just do to waste time in the morning for 30 seconds reciting this creed, but it's encouraging and nourishing faith. It's bearing witness and testimony to one another and to a lost and dying world. It's giving glory to God for what he has done. Our speech is doing something. It's praising God. It's encouraging one another. It's nourishing one another. It's helping sanctify one another. We're speaking the truth to one another. It's amazing. Even today, you called upon the Lord, you praised the Lord, you prayed to the Lord, you thanked the Lord, and you proclaimed the Lord's goodness. That came out of your heart. The new heart that you have. The new heart that was given to you. And those things matter, and those things echo in eternity as well. Beloved, we are worded from beginning to end by a God who speaks. We were regenerated by the word. We were justified by the word. You were declared righteous by God. You are being sanctified by the word. And you, as a prophet, priest, and king who shares Christ's offices, all three of them are speaking offices, you are called to speak in the way that Christ speaks as he conforms us ever more and more to his image. May it be so with us according to his will. 
And all God's children said, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us this evening. May we never cease to marvel at that. We have such an embarrassment of riches that we come regularly, morning and evening, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and hear from you. But may we never stop to marvel that you are a speaking God and that you spoke the universe into existence and that you sustain the universe through the word of your power and that you spoke us and the church into spiritual existence through your word and through your spirit as well. Well, Father, we confess that we are people of unclean lips as well and we dwell amongst a generation of those who have unclean lips. Father, would you help us to run from those things more and more, to cast those things aside, to be more thoughtful and intentional, intentional and careful about how and when we speak, that other people may never have cause to blaspheme you because of us, but more and more be drawn to you. May our words and our speech always give grace to those who hear. In Jesus' name we pray.